0: Father, we ask, Lord, that You would create in this very room, Father, a still and a calm. That Father, You would remove the curse of Babel for a moment. Father, that I might be able to speak as of the oracles of God and not of mine own self. Father, that as I would present... Your Word, Father, that You would be seen magnificent, glorious, high above all, holy. Father, we ask, Lord, that You would watch over our hearts, Lord. Keep them focused solely on You. Father, that if there be anything about me, my manner of speech that would distract, Lord, I pray, Father, that You would calls a silence upon that, Father, that you would not allow me to be a distraction, Father, keep me from being distracted, and I pray the same for those here today, that they too would be focused solely on you for this little bit of time we have together. Father, that as we gather together as the people of God, getting into the Word of God, singing the praises of God, bearing the testimony of God. Let us all have our hearts turned toward God. We pray these things in your Son's name, believing. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Over the next several weeks, I want to deal with uh, uh, just one of the main common issues, and and this is something that's a little bit out of my... uh, uh, norm, out of the realms of what I normally do. Typically, when I go into something apologetic such as this, it's on a set, Sunday night or even on a Wednesday type of midweek setting. Uh, but uh, I really felt that the Lord was uh, kind of uh, nudging some things. And there's been a lot of conversations that I've had with a lot of people recently uh, that have just really kind of been... Uh, putting me this direction. And so when we came to the end of Nehemiah uh, last week, I I, I wanted to get into the book of Philippians next. uh, And I really felt uh, the Lord kind of leading me that direction. But there was a few weeks I didn't want to necessarily just jump straight from one book to the next. Uh, And so I thought, uh, uh, Lord's just kind of been laying this stuff and it's some of the things that I've been studying a lot recently again. And I wanted to just try to present uh, sort of a... uh, uh, a, a defense, an apologetic is, uh, is a defense of the faith. And so I wanted to try to present that here. Uh, however, many, many do not know necessarily how to defend. So my goal in this is not just in defending uh, the Scriptures specifically over the next few weeks, but my goal is also to place in your hands an understanding that the Word of God is valid that there is good reason that we claim this as God's Word, that we read this and, and we take it from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation as God's Word. Uh, this is not just something that we have been taught. This is not just something that we uh, come to the table and say, uh, well, it's, it's, it's my choice of books and I choose this one over all the other religious documents out there. No, there, there's a valid reason that we do uh, hold to the inspiration of the Word of God. So my prayer in this, I do not attempt in in one message or even three messages uh, to expound upon what many have taken entire volumes to explain, but I do want to give just a skimming of this in the desire to fuel your hunger to know even more. Now many times maybe you have had conversations with folks who, who challenge the validity of Scripture and you just don't know how to respond. And many times uh, we find ourselves being confronted with a a statement and and we we don't know where that statement, maybe it was the first time that statement had ever been uh, shown to us, and we don't know what to say in response. And so as we get into this issue here uh, on how we can trust the Bible, there are a lot of claims against the validity or even the trustworthy nature of the Bible. And so I want to try in the short amount of time that we have uh, over the next few weeks uh, to address three main areas of this. The first being that of the, re- the reliability of the Old Testament. The second will be the reliability of the New Testament. And then the third will be the logical outcome of this realization. And so today we're going to start looking at this whole sub- subject by going over point number one, which would be the reliability of the Old Testament. Now again, this is not going to be, by any stretch of the imagination, an exhaustive study. Uh, I think I drove my wife nuts this week trying to squeeze 14 hours worth of things into one 45-minute, <laughs> and you all are hoping that it's 45-minute session But uh, I'm going to do the best that I can to give you the information. And then here uh, in several weeks, we're going to have a weekend where I go deeper into some of the apologetic issues. And it'll be a a Friday night, Saturday morning type of a deal. You'll find the information in your bulletin. And uh, you can can let us know if you're interested in coming out so that we can make sure to have that ready for you as well. But first, I want to examine the passage at hand. Look at what's taking place here. In this passage, starting in verse twenty-three, the group of people known as the Sadducees, and 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 they they were the group of people that did not believe that there was a resurrection. They did not believe they, they, that that there was going to be anything post this life, uh, and so uh, they believed that everything was going to to just kind of come to an end. And Jesus, in in their question, uh, they're trying to do a couple things. They want to try to uh, uh, trip him up in the area of the resurrection by saying it's foolish to believe in a resurrection because of all these issues. But then beyond that, they were just trying to get Jesus to uh, put himself in a position where he could not explain things away. And his response to them is the response many of us need to learn. Look what he said there again in verse number 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, ye have, not, uh, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living Now, I wanted to take a look at a couple things in this. Uh, First, examining this passage, I want you to see what Jesus says there in verse 31. He says, But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read? But I want you to notice what what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, have you not read that which was written? He says, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God? So right out of the chute, we find here that Jesus Himself is giving credence and He's referring to the Word of God, the written Word of God, as God's own speaking. He says, have you not read what was spoken unto you? Now, in this, as we re- see that Jesus is referring to Scripture uh, as God's Word, we need to understand He is re- in reference uh, to this statement. He is going back to the Old Testament. And so the question then would come in, okay, so what do we know of the Old Testament? One of the things that he also points out there in verse 29, he says, you do err not knowing the Scripture. The Scripture, I want you to understand, is sure. The Word of God is sure. It is, there's no question in it. And the way Jesus viewed the Word of God is that there was no, no deniability or no contest when it came to what was written or what was spoken, should I say, by the Word of God that we had the opportunity to read. So when people say things like, well, the Bible's just a bunch of uh, of nice stories, it's a, it's a bunch of uh, good lessons, or it's a, it's a way for us to learn how to be good people, or it's a way for us to learn more. Jesus attributed something to this that was not just a bunch of nice stories. He said, this is God's speaking. These are God's very Words. Not only do they err not knowing the Scripture, but they err not knowing the power of God. Now, as we get into this, one of the things that I, I see here is Jesus referring to this, uh, letting it be known that God is the God of the living, not of the dead. Notice what He says there in verse 32. He says, uh, talking about what God uh, had spoken, saying, I am the God of Abraham. And the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. I want you to see what he says there. He says that when God was speaking to Abraham, he says, I am. He did not say I was the God of Abraham. He did not say I will be the God of Abraham. He says, I am. In other words, Abraham, I am. Present tense for the rest of the day, for the rest of the year, for the rest of your life, and for the rest of eternity. I am the God of Abraham. This is the beautiful thing about the title that God has in I am. Understand that he is. And He is the rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. We don't have to wonder who God was. We don't have to wonder who God will end up being. We don't have to wonder if the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament or or if the God of, of future days is going to be different. No, no, no. The I Am is always the I Am. Now, it's important for us to understand this because we, when we come to this, Jesus attributing authority to God's Word, we too ought to understand that God's Word has an authority in our life. Now, we're going to get more into this when we get to that third stage of the logical outcome of this. because here's, And I'm going to go ahead and give you a spoiler alert. Let's go ahead and put this out on the table right now. If God's word truly is God's word, there's only one logical conclusion. We follow it. There's no if if what I have before those leather covers is God's word, who am I to pick and choose what part? Who am I to pick and choose what I like and I don't like? So if it is God's Word, logically speaking, the only thing that makes sense is for me to accept it, follow it, apply it, obey it. And so this is why it's so important for us to understand, is the book that we're reading today God's Word? First off, let's take a look at this uh, the Old Testament. And I want to make a few uh, statements, but, but beyond even the statements that I make, I want to back them up. very first thing that we need to understand about the Old Testament, literally none of the Jewish theologians differed in what they viewed as the Old Testament canon. You don't find any argument there's, there's none of this. Uh, well, uh, uh, the uh, uh, you know, Genesis through uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and then we need to skip this part over here. Let's, uh, you know, you don't find any of that. There's, there's no question in it. They, they literally believe that everything from, uh, from in our Bible we have from the book of Genesis to the end of Malachi is the word of God they they did not they did not worry about any of this thing they viewed all of this as inspired after the uh, writing of uh, of uh, malachi you have this 400 years of silence now, okay, that's a, that's a pretty interesting claim, and can I back that statement up? I'm going to give you just a few statements, and some of those statements I've already placed into your uh, uh, handouts there, but uh, let's take a look at one, uh, Rabbi Yehuda Sherpin. This is a modern-day rabbi. He states this, "...the Apocrypha isn't divinely inspired and is therefore not part of the canon, and some of its works are even directly opposed, antithetical, should I say, to Judaism." May may contain valuable information, but they aren't given more credence than any other book. And be aware, various editions and deletions throughout uh, the ages have been made. Now, in noticing what this is saying, we we need to realize that many times we're challenged by what we have before us. And you're going to hear statements such as this, and we're going to get into the New Testament later, but you're going to hear statements such as, uh, well, you know, you have part of what God said, you have part of the Bible, you don't have the whole Bible. How do you know that you have the whole Bible? Well, that's the evidence that we're going to be looking at over the course of the next couple weeks. The very first part of it is understanding the Old Testament. Do we have the legitimate Old Testament? Is what we contain in our Old Testament books, is that legitimately the Old Testament? Why don't we have the others? There are some Bibles that you'll find. The, uh, the, uh, uh, the original 1611 King James had the Apocrypha in it. Uh, later on, it was, uh, it was removed. Uh, beyond that, you had books such as the Geneva Bible. You had the, uh, uh, the, the, you had the Coverdells, the Tyndals. One of the things that took place during the Reformation period was uh, Martin Luther's writing, uh, or should I say not writing, but translating of the uh, Hebrew and Greek texts into German. Now, Martin Luther did something that was interesting and had not been done up until this point. He took the apocryphal books, and the apocrypha means hidden. It, it's, it, was, uh, it was a group of books that the, uh, to the Jewish people. They, they viewed them as writings about things that were going on. They did not view them as canon. These were books that would have been written during that 400 years of silence and moving forward. And so most of those were written uh, uh, around 200 years prior to Christ's coming. And for the most part, they were not even written in Hebrew. And so they came to this, uh, uh, this, this set of books as these are, are good historical books. read them, but don't ascribe to them the same that you do the canon of the Old Testament. Now when Martin Luther was translating his, he really did not want, uh, uh, he really did not want to add those to the book uh, to the uh, translation. So what he did was something that was really pretty ingenious actually he took The Old Testament, canon, he translated it. He took the Apocrypha and gave it its own section. And then he took the New Testament. After many years, eventually that Apocrypha started to just drop off. He didn't want it because, in, in much of the uh, uh, much of the misunderstanding, was given to uh, uh, some of the different doctrines came from those books, and I'll show you some of that in a little bit. Well, that, we may say, well, that's that's wonderful, a rabbi of today's day, and you know, uh, uh, a monk uh, from uh, the fifteenth uh, uh, century. Okay, well, way to go. That's that's wonderful. Well, hold on for just a little bit. Let's go back even further. Let's go back to Jerome. Let's look at Jerome's statement. Jerome, uh, being a 4th century theologian, this is the translator of the Latin Vulgate. He was, uh, he was one of the uh, uh, pivotal as far as getting the, uh, the Bible translated into a more common tongue. Here was Jerome's statement. I laid my book... No, I'm just going to read it off the screen because I laid my paper down. Oh, there it is. Jerome's statement, as then the church reads Judith, Tobit, and the books of the Maccabees, but does not admit them among the canonical scriptures. So let it also be read, these two volumes, Wisdom, Solomon, Ecclesiasticus, for the edification of the people, not to give authority to doctrines of the church. That's Jerome's statement. Look at another statement by Jerome. This preface to the Scriptures, uh, this is in reference to some of the books that as he would come to the different books of the uh, uh, Apocrypha, he, he made a statement here saying, the, the preference to the Scriptures uh, may serve as a helmeted introduction to all the books which we turn from Hebrew into Latin so that we may be assured that what is not found in our list must be placed amongst the apocryphal writings. Wisdom, therefore, which generally bears the name of Solomon, and the book of Jesus, uh, the son of Sirach, uh, and Judith, and Tobias, and the shepherd, are not in the canon. Uh, another Cyril, uh, by the name of Cyril from the 4th century, he made this statement. It's not up on the screen, but he says, uh, Please read the Holy Scripture, uh, the, two, uh, the 22 books of the Old Testament, which were translated by the 72. Now, the 72 is in reference uh, to the translators of the Septuagint, uh, showing little, if any, proof that the Greek Scriptures actually contained the Apocrypha, but no one accepted the Apocryphal writings as canon. Uh, One by Josephus. Let's get that one up on the screen here, please. We, now this is Josephus, Jewish historian of the first century. We are not like the Greeks, having a lot of books that do not agree and are contradicting. We have only 22 books, including all the past writings as recognized correctly to be divine. After such a long time, no one has ever dared to add to, delete from, or alter them. Don't miss what he's saying in this. Don't miss it. Jerome, first century Jewish theologian said, we've got our completed canon. Now, this is not to say, you know, cut them off and throw them away. I find a lot of great information Especially as I read the the Maccabean books and I I learn some of what took place there and some of the history of the people of God. And so don't think for a moment that I'm saying that these are horrible books. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that in understanding where where we get our doctrine, where we get our teachings... We need, to, we need to realize that the Old Testament books, the 39 books that we have, now the question then comes in, okay, wait a minute. You said 39, but while ago he said 22. And I am looking, and I don't know about you, but I know how to count, Pastor Andy. And this one on the other side says something about 24, 39. I'm not understanding. Well, let's take a note of the insert here. And you'll see the two charts there the Jewish Old Testament, 24 books, the Jewish Old Testament, 39 books. And I'm going to try to explain to you what's taking place here. The Jewish Old Testament is laid out differently than the way our Old Testament in our current Bibles lay them out. Somebody, what's the last book of the Old Testament? Malachi, right? Not in the Jewish Old Testament. You'll notice on the left-hand column there, it says that 2 Chronicles is actually the last book. Now, where they get less books than we do, it's the same Old Testament. It's the same Old Testament, split up differently. You'll notice as you move, it puts the law, which is the Torah, uh, right at the very beginning. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then you have the uh, former prophets, the Nevi'im. Uh, you have Joshua, Judges, uh, and then First and Second Samuel is one book. They combine that into one book where we split it out into two. First and Second Kings is combined into one book where we split it out as two. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, those are the latter prophets. And then the book of the 12 is, is where you find the minor prophets, Hosea through Malachi. That is combined into one book. So now we have 13. Then you find what's referred to as the writings, sometimes also called the poets, uh, or the, uh, the psalms. Sometimes they lump it all together as the psalms. You have psalms, Proverbs, Job, Song of Songs, uh, which is the older way of saying Song of Solomon. Uh, we refer to that as Song of Solomon. Ruth, uh, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, Esther, Daniel. Now, Ezra and Nehemiah are combined into one book, making 23 First and Second Chronicles is combined into one book, making twenty-four. And so the question then comes in: What about twenty-two, Pastor? I'm, uh, you're 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 messing messing with my mojo here. In a lot of the older Old Testament uh, uh, Jewish Old Testament books, they combined First Samuel, Second Samuel, First Kings, Second Kings, First Chronicles, and Second Chronicles would have also been their own book. And so when you have some of this combination and as they've moved through the canonicity of Scripture, the 22 is also in reference to the 24 that we have today. At some point, they even had questions of the book of Esther. So, if you were to combine 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, and 2nd Kings into one book, remove Esther, then they had the issue with Esther. And the reason that they had an issue with Esther was because God, God's name is not mentioned in the book of Esther. And so, some people challenged the uh, the validity there, but all of the Mesoretic texts that we can find, all of the uh, uh, the best resources that we have, uh, shows us that the twenty four that the Jewish the current Jewish Old Testament is laid out the same way the Septuagint would have been laid out, and and the canon that is greatly accepted by the Jewish um, uh, by the Jewish uh, uh, community as the canon of the Old Testament. That in and of itself should be enough, I would think. You know, why do we not accept these other apocryphal writings? We don't accept them any more than Jesus did. Well, Pastor, how do you know Jesus didn't? Well, why I want you to understand the way that the Jewish Old Testament is laid out, in addition to the way the, uh, our Old Testament is laid out uh, is laid out, is you need to see how 2 Chronicles is the last book in the Old Testament. It's important for us to see that. We're here in the book of Matthew. Uh, Jump over, if you would, to Matthew chapter number 23. And what you're going to notice as we have gone through... Uh, if you just you know, flip over a page there, what you're going to notice as we go through uh, the Word of God, Jesus time and time again refers to the law and the prophets. He refers to it, uh, uh, refers to the Old Testament as the law and the prophets. Uh, He he refers to it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Matthew chapter 24, verse 27, Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 24, verse 27, Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Jesus also summed up the entire canon of the Old Testament. He summed it all up. Look here in Matthew chapter 23. And look at verse 33 with me. Jesus speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees, he says, "Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify." And some of them ye shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias the son of Barakias whom ye slew between the temple and the altar." Now it's important for us to see this because here's what we typically find. A lot of times that people say things like, okay, so Jesus is saying from A to Z, you know, from Abel to Zacharias, you've killed them all from A to Z. That's not what he's saying. If you want to keep your hand here in Matthew and go back to 2nd Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 24, please. Now, we, we all understand Genesis being the first book of the Old Testament. Genesis being the first book of the Old Testament. And who was the first martyr recorded in Genesis? Abel, right? So you have Adam and Eve, and then you have Cain and Abel, and Cain slew Abel. So we have the first martyr's blood, which would be Abel. Jesus makes a claim here that the last martyr written about in the uh, Old Testament... Zechariah Look at 2nd Chronicles chapter 24 verse 20 And the spirit of God came upon Zechariah the son of Jehoiada the priest Uh, Which stood above the people, and said unto them, Thus saith God, Why transgress ye the commandments of the Lord, that ye cannot prosper? Because ye have forsaken the Lord, he hath also forsaken you. And they conspired against him and stoned him with the stones at the commandment of the king in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king remembered not the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done to him, but slew his son. And when, he had, and when he died, he said, The Lord, look upon it and require it. Now here's Zechariah, and when Jesus makes the statement that you have taken the life of the martyrs from Abel to Zechariah, he is saying from the first martyr in the Old Testament to the last martyr in the Old Testament. So, the Old Testament that Jesus would have been reading in that day would have ended in 2 Chronicles here, and the last martyr that is recorded would have been Zechariah. So, Jesus gives credibility to the canon that we have today. Now, as we look at this, and people can ask, you know, well, why do we have it in different order, different, uh, uh, why, why is it spread out differently? There are many reasons for that, many understandings, uh, but at the end of the day, uh, don't ever forget that the books that were written didn't have verses, didn't have chapter, verse numbers, didn't have chapter numbers, didn't have those pretty little headings above different paragraphs like you have in your Bible. They weren't broken up that way either. And because of readability and because of ease of study, they were rearranged and put into certain places. However, you're going to find the Word of God written and it's going to be communicated properly. So Zechariah being the last, uh, the, uh, the last of the uh, uh, martyrs written in the last book of the canon, which would be 2 Chronicles. By this time... The apocryphal, or a lot of people refer to them as deuterocanonical books, were well established. Not only did the Jewish people not accept it as canonical, but the Lord Jesus Christ Himself did not accept it as canonical. Now, a couple other things that we can put into this is uh, there are many teachings that are found in the apocrypha uh, that are... um, in complete disagreement with with the Old Testament teachings. For example, in in the book of Tobit, uh, chapter 4 and chapter 12, you have alms giving that equate to salvation. Uh, The atoning for sins of the dead in 2 Maccabees 12 and 43, condoning the use of magic in Tobit 6. Judith claims that Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Assyria when he was king of Babylon. And so there are some other uh, issues raised to this. Now, it would be one thing if people claimed that this was the Word of God and then all of a sudden, you know, hundred years, thousand years later, people found these issues and said, oh, no, wait a minute, we need to back up. But that's not what happened. They have not been claimed as canonical. No church claimed them as canonical until... 1546, at the Council of Trent, in response to Martin Luther. They said, Now we're going to say that they're canonical. No. Let God's word be God's word so many falsely claim that councils dating back to the 4th century uh, were the reasons that we have the books, the 66 books that we have today. They, they say, well, you know, uh, they, they decided, these men decided. No, 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 no. The councils that took place prior to this, back in the 4th uh, century, the 5th century, and so forth, they did not meet to determine what was canon. They meant to reaffirm their understanding. They said, yep, you're right. That's it. They didn't vote. It wasn't like, okay, I like, uh, I like Esther, but I don't like Ruth, and so um, I'll flip you for it. It wasn't that kind of a situation. Going back to Matthew, and Jesus makes the statement. I want you to see this very clearly. Matthew chapter 22. In response to the Sadducees, verse 29, Jesus said unto them, You do err. In other words, you are completely mistaken. Why? Because you know not the Scriptures. But what else does He say? Read that last phrase with me. Nor the power of God. Okay. Let's, let's have a little bit of an understanding and logic and I'll, I'll do the best that I can to put this out there. The rules of logic, um, let's just take the second rule of logic, which is the law of non contradiction, says that it can't be and not be something at the same time. And so either God's word is God's word or it's not God's word, it can't be both. It can't. The part in the middle can't be God's word, but the part at the very beginning, you know, when, when the Bible says, God said, let there be light. Well, I think that that's metaphor. At, no, stop. It's either God's word or it's not. And when we come to, to, to situations such as this, we, uh, we have to ask ourselves uh, how, how, how sure can I know? that what we have before us is the Word of God. Now, I don't want to get into circular reasoning because a lot of people will say things like, well, how do you know the Bible's true? Well, because Mom and Dad told me it's true. Well, how do they know it's true? Because the pastor told them it was true. Well, how did the pastor know it's true? Because uh, his pastor told him it was true once upon a time. And well, how does his pastor know it was true? Stop. There's so much in the evidences to be able to go back and verify, and, I, and I, I, I hope if you have more questions after this, I hope that you come uh, for that apologetic weekend that we're going to be having. It's in your, it's in your book. It's in your, the, yeah, this is a shameless plug. This is the commercial portion of the message. But wait, there's more. Yeah. I, I hope that you come out for this because there's going to be a whole lot more information to be able to show you not only uh, do we have the correct set of books, but here's how it verifies itself. You know the quickest way to find out if someone is lying? Listen to them. If they say, well, you know, I... uh, Dad, I, I wouldn't have done something like that. Well, this one time I might have, but you know, it, it's it's because of the, and and you know, I, yeah, I I did what I was supposed to do. But okay, <laughs> I can take the scripture and let it verify itself. And that's what we're going to do by God's grace. We're going to start to go through some of this and let the Scripture bear out on itself. The, the exactness of fulfilled prophecies that were given th- over a thousand years prior uh, to things taking place. Uh, the the uh, communication and the coordination that comes together. No human being could have done this. And when I take away the power of God... I'll question it. Coming back to the logical outcome of this, think about it from this perspective. If I believe in a God who's able to create the universe, it's not difficult for me to believe in a God who can protect A book. And people will say things, well, what if you find this book down the road and that book down the road? Are you going to add it? No. Because I believe the Holy Spirit was powerful enough. And here's the thing at the end of the day. As you examine, and I'm one of those goofy nuts that, yes, here's the thing. Let's put it this way. How many of you have heard someone challenge the validity of the gospel and they present, well, you've got this book and you've got this book. Next week we'll be getting into some of the Gnostic Gospels. Well, what about the Gospel of Thomas? What about the Gospel of Mary? What about the Gospel of Judas? What about the Gospel of Philip? What about the Gospel... Anybody ever heard that before? Have you ever asked them if they've read them? I have. And it's very quick... To see there's legitimate reason that these are not in there. Read the Apocrypha. And you'll find that there's problems. You'll find that there is issue. And so the question comes in: why does it matter? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning God created. We get that from Genesis the Old Testament. Isaiah 59 verse 2 lets us know that God's Word came, He became silent, and then He became flesh. It says it this way, Your sin has separated you from God. That's what happened. Adam had perfect harmony and relationship with God. His sin separated them. Guess where we get that? The Old Testament. If I can't trust the Old Testament, I can't trust that. The third thing, Isaiah chapter 53, lets me know what Jesus went through. It lets me know He was bruised, He was beaten, His stripes are what healed me. It lets me know what Jesus went through on the cross. But not only what He went through, Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 6 let me know why for you. I've got I to know that I can trust this book. If I can't trust this book, I can't trust that Jesus was punished. And I can't trust why. John chapter 5. Go to John chapter 5 with me if you would. And we're going to start to make our way around third base and head home. John chapter number 5. Look at verse number 31. Jesus says this. He says, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. In other words, if the only thing that you have to go on is what I'm saying, that's a big deal. He says, but there's another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. He sent, John, he sent unto John, and he bare witness unto the truth. But I received not testimony from man. But these things I say that ye might be saved. He was a burning and a shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. In other words, all the things that I'm doing here. You remember when John had his doubts and he sent word to Jesus? He says, are you really the one or do we look for another? And Jesus says, what have you seen? Now, catch this because he continues to speak. He speak. It says, in the Father Himself, verse 37, which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard His voice at any time nor seen His shape, and ye have not this, His word abiding in you. For whom He hath sent, Him ye believe not. Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me and ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? You see what he said in verse 39? Search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. Listen, the Old Testament testifies of Jesus. And we can trust it. All 39, we can trust it. Next week we'll start to look at the New Testament and we'll continue in this study. But here's what I want to do right here, right now, is I want to put it to you. And I am all about having open dialogue. I love having conversation. I love it. Some of you have asked questions before and wished you didn't. If you have any of these questions that go along with that, write them down. Write them down. Let me know. Be here for that apologetic study that we're going to be doing. But what I really want to do right now is I want to put to rest anything that I can. Again, this is not an all-encompassing. I tried to give you the cliff notes of the cliff notes. The accusations that once upon a time we looked at these books as scripture and now we don't, or the accusation that certain people got together and they tried to juggle things and make certain, well, we're going to, it's like a draft pick. That's not true. God's word settled. It was settled long before any council met. It'll be settled long after any council thinks they can meet. And maybe somewhere along the line, someone has shown you from the Word of God how you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to know something man's Word doesn't hold that much water. This book right here, you can take it to the bank, it'll never leave you hanging on a limb. It'll never leave you wanting. It'll never leave you not knowing. It'll never leave you with more questions than answers. It is sure. It is settled. And the problem that we run into is a lot of people, and this is not new stuff. This has been going on for millennia. People challenge it Because they want to be a law unto themselves. Because the logical outcome, if this book truly is the Word of God, I need to submit to it. And when it says, call unto me, and I'll answer thee. When it says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, when Jesus says, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. When the Apostle Paul says, Be followers of me as I am of Christ. Guess what? It's time for us to lay down our nets, take up our cross, and follow Him. It's the only logical conclusion. But if it's not the Word of God, we have just wasted the last hour of our day. It's the only logical conclusion. Who are we praising? And who are we worshiping? The God that is given to us in this book right here. That's who. The God who wrote it. The God who is it. Father, we come before You, Lord, humbled beyond words. Father, the very thought, Lord, that You would give to us Your infallible, inspired Word. Lord, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know why You would love us that much. Father, that You would desire us to know You. Father, to grow closer to You. To see how we can bring a smile to Your face. To see what pleases You. And Father, to see what mocks You. So Lord, in this, in this time, I beg You, Lord, that an understanding portion of Your Spirit would be given to each in every individual in this room. Father, the Bible says, the natural man discerneth not the things of God for their foolishness to him. And so, Father, I'm asking for something supernatural to take place. Father, that's the opening of the eyes. But, Father, we also know, Lord, that whenever the eyes are opened, a decision must be made. So I pray, Father, that You would... Soften the hearts of the individuals and bring them, Lord, to an understanding of who You are and their response to You. We pray these things in Your Son's name. Amen.